Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were true crime, history, and the paranormal me. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And today we are recording for the first time ever on location. We are at the beautiful Villa Montezuma in San Diego. And with us is Charles Spratley, historian, tour guide, author. Your book name again? Piercing the Veil, Examining San Diego's Haunted History. Tell, now, we are just did a tour of the house. It's more beautiful on the inside than it is even on the outside. The outside is so is striking. The inside is even better would you say better I think I don't know it's yeah well and just the fact that like like we've been other places that they say is preserved but this is way more than preserved than any, any quote-unquote old preserved place we've ever been tell us the history of the Villa Montezuma um well the Villa Montezuma is actually uh built um by uh by two prominent uh San Diego architects and the house was built for a concert pianist slash spiritualist mystic by the name of Jesse Shepard. And um, he designed uh, this house, and the house was built to his specifications and requests. Back in what year was it again? Uh, the house was built in 1887 for $26,000, and the house was built in about nine months. Okay, we were talking about how $26,000 would be amazing to build a 5,000 square foot house. I, I, my truck costs more than that. Right. Um, yeah. But you said the comparison to that is a house back then would have a normal a house n- that isn't four, technically four stories because of a basement and a tower. Yeah. Um, would have been more like. What four thousand? About four thousand dollars for a, for a house for a family of four at this time. Yeah. So twenty six thousand was a huge amount of. That's money. That's a huge amount of money. And every wall is it? Was it typical? This is what I didn't think about as we were walking around. Is it typical that all the ceilings in a home would be wallpapered? Um, not really. Not really. Uh, we would have a lot of it would be painted in typical. This is not a typical house. No. This was a house that was built for entertaining. So yeah, he did it because people were going to be here all the yeah, time. Yeah, and, and him, he right? himself was was a very unique individual. Is that how you describe him? Um, I, well, if you wanted to use this one word, uh, yeah, definitely unique. He was different for his time period. Uh, very quickly, if I could talk about Jesse. Um, so he's born in England, but at the age of one, his parents come and they settle in Illinois. And at the age of ten. He actually witnesses the last of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Personally. Personally, as wow. a child. Um, he is a page boy for uh, uh, General Fremont, uh, the guy who helped map out California. Wow. Um, and uh, he gets uh, some piano training in Niagara Falls. His parents were very interesting people, probably very influential in raising him. I was going to say, he came from a wealthy background. Well, not wealthy. It, it's upper middle class, but it's nice, but it's not like extravagant by any means. And Like this house would have been considered extravagant. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Okay. But, uh, but he... Uh, took off as a young man and went to Europe, and he took Europe by storm as a concert pianist slash medium. And how did you say that he was trained as a pianist? It's really interesting because one of the things that he would mention is is like he was not trained in the typical way. Or, but we do know that he did receive piano lessons, but he was just extremely talented with it. So it was just like an inbred thing. He was born with this yeah. ability. Yeah. I, I don't want to use the word like prodigy or anything like that, but he was extremely talented at playing the piano. 
And then he came to California in what year? Uh, well, the first time he came to California was, um, I believe, in the early 1880s. He was here, and he performed at, of all things, all the California missions. That he went around to the... Yeah, he wow. traveled, including the ruins of San Diego Mission, where we're at right now. He performed in the ruins of the San Diego Mission and have concerts and stuff like that. And that's how he made his money. I mean, how did he build the house, I guess? Um, well, he used some of his own funds, but a goodly portion of the funds also came from two brothers, the High Brothers, who were wealthy fruit ranchers that lived in the area, and they were also spiritualists, and they lured him to San Diego as uh, kind of like the highbrow entertainment in this area. And also, it was a great way to sell real estate to know that you're going to be living next to this world traveler concert pianist. And, and back in those days in the Victorian age, it was very important for a town to have sort of the moniker of being a cosmopolitan town. Yeah, of yeah. Of having co culture and things like that. So that's what they, that's why they wanted him here. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't stream Netflix. So, you know. <laughs> you couldn't be on your, yeah. <laughs> so what else were you going to do? You were actually going to go and listen to real live music. Real live music. That's amazing. So the history of the house, he only lived here two years. Yes. And during this time, um, he had actually written his first book uh, and the book was going to be published in Paris. So him and his business partner and friend Lawrence actually took off to Paris. So during that time of two years, he's also in Paris. Well, and he, um, well, then travel to Paris wasn't like he went for a week and came home. No, he no. He was gone for months and months at a yeah, time. Yeah, he was gone for a few months and he came back. And he came back here and then... He left this house. Why? Why did he? Um, well, San Diego is a very unique town. A lot of people come here because they think it's like a great tourist town and stuff like that. But during the Victorian time period, uh, because a lot of people came out west for the better air and stuff like that, uh, they had huge economic booms that were going on at this time to where lots of land sold several times in one day uh -huh. uh, to where you bought a piece of land for maybe, uh, maybe $100. And by the... Maybe by the end of the weekend, you sold that lot of land for about a thousand bucks. By the yeah. time you sold it and resold it and stuff like that, so um, interesting uh, things were going on economically for land. Uh, this was a huge place where people wanted to come and live. Many people were uh, were being uh, lured here to San Diego. And he left because it was too. Uh, that economic boom went bust. Oh. Um, it, it, it's like our real estate bubble that we just recently yeah. had a few years ago. Then, uh, the real estate went bust and, um, San Diego's no longer, you know, held, you know, that much interest to him. So him and, uh, Lawrence packed up and they took off to Europe and never came back to San Diego. And, um, how many people have this, you were telling us earlier, I know that, how many people lived here? Like how, how many different transitions were there for this house the list of them i know is a lot yeah there there are actually many owners of the house and including um it was owned by the lynch family which were uh lumber magnet you know uh this was owned by during world war ii this was used as a boarding house it's just been a family home and many different families owned it with mrs yeager being the last owner of the house until 1969 I can't imagine just like living in here and like cooking your dinner and like sitting down and eating like a normal family. Right. It doesn't seem like it's like a normal There's house. There's like a bunch of different rooms. Yeah. There's all these different. No rooms. open floor plan. And I'm so, yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's no, nothing, what is it, country chic about this house at all. <laughs> in the last family lived here, you said the Jaegers lived mm -hmm. here. So are, I know you explained that the walls were covered by other walls, like walls in front yeah, of the protecting, walls. Yeah, protecting the walls. And yeah. was that the entire time that she lived here too, or was she part of the, the renovation? or the? No, she unfortunately was not part of the, the renovation. Uh, the house was, uh, the house 
how it came a museum is very interesting itself. Uh, a wonderful woman by the name of Kay Porter, who is very, very fascinated with preserving of history. She actually got several friends of hers together, and they purchased a house. In uh, practically probably almost falling down, like the It was, let's just say it was not in uh, the best of condition when it was, and they actually purchased a house with the intention of it being a museum. And with that, it was given under stewardship of the San Diego Historical Center, which is now the His San Diego History Center. And restoration started to actually bring the house back to the 1880s. So that just started since the 1970s, you said? Yeah, 1970s. And the Friends of the Villa Montezuma, which I'm the vice chair for, has been the auxiliary group which planned all the events and oversaw, provided all the volunteers, everything like that for the Villa Montezuma since 1970. And it's, I mean, we're talking 40 years ago now, or 50 years ago 50, now. 50. I can't keep going. Keep, I can't keep going. <laughs> so, yeah. I, we, we have proven over and over again we cannot math on this podcast. So, like, for the last 50 years, like, what are your biggest challenges now with this house, with the, the restoration? Well, uh, congratulations. We now have a Victorian house. It was challenging for us because uh, we have been first working with the city of San Diego and trying to get possession of the house uh, for almost 10 years. Oh, wow. And the only thing is, is in that 10 years, the house has just taken a serious weather beating. Even though the city has been in possession of the house, uh, San Diego is a big tourist town. And so uh, things like house museums and stuff like that are not really big on their um, I think I'm going to go and uh, donate some money and work on a house museum. They're really not about that. They're about SeaWorld and Legoland and or, the beaches. Or even repairing roads right. and, you know, around the, uh, the baseball stadiums or something like that. Things that they know are going to generate them income, which is fine. I understand that. That's, that's okay. But that just means that the villa itself did not get the care that probably, you know. Preservation is not on the top of their list. Well, because that's not their business. Right. And that's okay. So tell us some of the stories. You were telling me earlier that there's stories that are out there. If, if someone were to Google, because I know a lot of people don't, when you talk about San Diego and you're talking about different locations, the Whaley House is huge, like the mm -hmm. San Diego Zoo, all that other stuff. Um, a lot of people don't know that the Villa Montezuma exists or the history of it. So if someone were to Google it, tell us some of the false stories that you would hear and then tell us what the what the real story is. Well, one of the things that I, I love is, um, first off, I've worked in this house for so many years before um, we the Friends of the Villa have taken it over to the House Museum. I used to be the administrator of this house when it was ran by the San Diego Historical Society. And over the years, I've come across like a whole plethora of just, not just ghost stories about this house, but bad ghost stories about this like house. Like not even close to being accurate. Well, it's not even that they're not accurate. They're just almost in a way in bad taste. Oh. And and if anything, that that's one of my biggest things is I'm all about a good ghost story. I mean, anybody who knows me, you look me up, you're going to say, wow, this guy's really into ghost stories. And you know what? I am. Well, and I have a theory yeah. because my podcast is called Haunting History. It's called Haunting History. Why did yeah, I just I lose just my mind have for a stroke? Second? Yeah, I did God. a lot. <laughs> a little mini stroke right there. That's not a good way. That if you're a lover of history and you're a lover of old architecture like I am, um, history is, plays a huge part in my life. Y you rarely ever can go back into history and tell a story that does not have a ghost story attached to it. Like you almost always find ghost stories. Yeah, somewhere in somewhere there. Somewhere in yeah. there, there's yeah. a ghost story. Yeah. So tell us about the stories that are not true. And then tell us immediately, like right following, what is true. Okay, well, one of the things that's very interesting is that this place was known um, as the Palace of the Arts. So he entertained constantly here. 
but also because of his ties to spiritualism and the spiritualism community, a lot of people first off used to say that he would do seances here in the house. You um, don't think he did? Well, there is no evidence that shows that he did. You being, you've done a lot of research on spiritualism. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What are the odds that he didn't have seances? Um, mostly because during this time in his life, he converted to Catholicism. Oh, he did? I didn't know that. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he So he would have, like, he just went to one extreme to the other. Yeah, well, again, I mean, you and I, um, as we're walking through the house, we talked about spiritualism. Remember, uh, spiritualism is very, uh, is is rooted in non-denominational Christianity. Exactly. So whenever, you know, we, we talk about people that, uh, we talk about seances, and we love talking about things like uh, table tipping and stuff right. like that, but they don't talk about the hymns. And of, it, of spiritualism. Of spiritualism. Correct. They don't talk. No one about, ever talks about No, that. they don't. They don't talk about the, you know, moments of prayer that could last an hour. Exactly. Because uh, that, that doesn't sell books. No, or, it's or, more fun to talk about it's them. More, it's not Hollywoody. Exactly. It's, so we do know that during this time period, uh, he did convert to Catholicism. So he may have not actually ever done a seance here. Possibly. Because I mean, he didn't wake up one day and be like, nah, I'm not going to be a spiritualist anymore. Now I'm going to be Catholic. Yeah. This was a transition. So, and he was a, only here two years. And, and one of the things I think is very interesting is I have found physical evidence of him giving seances in 1884 in Paris, of all places. Oh, okay. So and, maybe and he did. Maybe he did. Don't know. Okay? Because the one thing is that we do know, like, we have a very interesting, we even know some of the people that came for his concerts. So that's actually really interesting. But um, Were as, any of them spiritualists? Well, some were, but again, spiritualism was a huge religious movement during this time period, so that's not unusual either. Right. But this house has just got a very interesting reputation because of this. And also during this time period, he even pulls away from music a little bit because he is writing his cousin, who is a, a General Grierson of the Union Army, and telling him, um, I think I'm going to put music on the back burner and I'm going to take up writing. And that's when he... He started his writing career here. So the stories online talk a lot about him having seances here. Yeah, they talk a lot about him having and seances. No... Well, I'm, and that's the whole thing is I'm not saying he didn't. But I'm just saying... It I, wasn't I would, a big part of his It life was here. not a big part of his life, especially at this time period. Right. He was... He knew, as we talked about earlier, he knew Alexander Dumas. Yeah. Uh, the gentleman who wrote The Three Musketeers right. and, and The Count of Monte Cristo and stuff like that. And so um, perhaps uh, hanging out with him and his friends in France, because Jesse also spoke French, that perhaps that might have influenced him going into his literary career, because right. his books are actually quite well written. Really? And um, I thoroughly recommend... Uh, he was just kind of a jack of all trades. And that's one of the things that made him so perfect. Extravagant and so Tall, many different very good-looking, well-cultured, very European... Did what style. he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. Yeah, and um, we do know that he did learn the art of the seance in St. Petersburg. Oh, okay. And he went to Russia. To learn how to do seances. Yeah, while he was in his late 20s. But you're you're debunking the fact that people endlessly discuss about the seances here, that that wasn't a big part of this. It, it was not a big part of his life, but that's, again, um, unfortunately, I don't have... It's like if people... If somebody were to say... I have a piece of paper that shows that he did seances here, or better yet, something in his own a hand. A journal or something. Some, anything. Please. I would love to have it. Yeah. I would love to have it. But, but we not. don't know. 
So what are the other rumors about the house? Um, one of my personal favorites is uh, a book that's been out for many years. Uh, a woman wrote that a butler hanged himself in the tower. Uh, I have not seen that yet. Oh, and you got to go online. you got to go online. Okay. It's amazing. Um, hanging yourself in the tower is actually physically impossible. Is it? We have, that's the only place we haven't been yet. Yeah, because it's got stairs of death. It does. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they look, I'm looking right at the stairs right now. Yeah. Uh, we are actually in a retreat going up into the tower right now. And those steps, some of the stairs at their widest point are only about six inches wide on, oh. on, so, um, what is the view from the tower though? I want to know, uh, back in the day when he lived here, he, this is where he started his writing career. He had a small desk and a swivel chair up there. Um, he would have watched a Hotel Del Coronado being built. So you can see the ocean from here, then? You could have seen the ocean from here if it wasn't blocked by trees and industrial complexes now. So back in the 18... Yeah, 1800s. in the early 18... In the late 1800s, he could actually see all the way out to the ocean. You could see the Coronado Bridge from up there. What is... I still want to go up there. But looking at the stairs right now, like, that, I feel like I would fall... Just and, looking and, at and, and how you, the window and you, is. And you would be my most prominent ghost. Don't worry. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather not. Yeah. Um, so I could start it with, there was a podcaster. Yeah. Is that <laughs> is that a full window right there? Or is that just it's, a corner it's, window? It's all windowed up there. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I opened one of the windows up there right now so we could get some air in before here. we started. Yeah, because I was sweating a little bit when we started. I feel okay now. But oh, well, thank started, you. I was like, uh, oh. All right. Um, I can't. And, uh, but uh, one of the stories is, is that we had a butler that hanged himself yeah, up in a tower, ridiculous. which um, is ridiculous because uh, I'm 6'3", and we're going to say that the typical person was 5'7". Right. They would be jumping off of a shoebox because the ceiling is so low. It is that low. Yeah, as well as there's no rafters up there, so there's nothing that's load-bearing. Wow. So that's kind of... Bullshit story. Wow, you went there. I did. I'm That's, sorry. Was there an e attached to the beginning yeah. of this podcast? Because yeah. I there could, is I, there really because I could case. I could drop an f bomb like somebody's business. <laughs> yeah, no, just no, kidding. I there, won't do that. Uh, there's definitely an e because there are times where even like she doesn't cuss, but there are times where I'm just like, what the absolute fuck, and I can't not. Oh, okay. You know, okay. No, 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 no. I, 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 I don't. Um, but. One of the things that's very interesting is I also hear from even local ghost tours and stuff like that, that uh, Mrs. Yeager, who is the last owner of the house, um, she died in the tower. And Why the tower? Why is the tower? Is it because it's so prominent from the it's outside? Probably, it's, okay, again, you understand ghost stories. You understand ghost stories. Let's talk about folklore. So, so yeah. when you want to do folklore, you want to use it, choose a real prominent place in the house. Right. Okay. The tower is probably the most prominent place. And Not they the dumbwaiter. Yeah. No, she didn't die in a dumbwaiter. Right. Um, but. Uh, well, she didn't die in the house at all. No, she didn't. At all. No, Was she, she ill didn't. here maybe? Did, did she get ill here? No. No, no she so, didn't. And that's, no. you know, you, you, you're, it's like, it's like you're picking on, a, you're picking on a, a, a woman who's a widow and older and. You know, live that in the still house has by. family. That's the other thing that you had said. Yeah, that yeah. It's not respectful to the family. It's no, it's descendants. not. But they say that she died in the tower, and they tell the story about how she accidentally locked herself up in the tower with a door that led up to the tower. Isn't that the same story from the Winchester Mansion too? During the earthquake, that she was locked in. Oh room, God! You know what? The you know what you think about? I never really thought about that. That sounds so much alike. But yeah. they said that because she had dementia, they said yeah. that. She couldn't unlock herself from the tower, and she died in the tower, and it took weeks for people to find her. Wow. And she has living descendants. I have to hear this ridiculous story. Um, yeah. And, and then they pull, um, they pull a key out, and they do the haunted key trick where the key turns in the hand. Oh, wow. That. No. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll show you how to do it later. Okay, good. Uh, 
But it's they do that, and I'm kind of like, well, one, you know, Mrs. Jaeger didn't die in this house, and right. two, um, as you can tell, there is no door going up, up to, to the, the tower. tower for you to do that. So no. there, you, there you go. I get that a lot, and so when people come and see the house. They're like, let me see the room where she died. Yes. Oh. I get that all the time. And people say, you know, and I'll take people up here. And they're like, they said that Mrs. Jaeger died in the tower. And I'm like, come here, come here, come here. Do you see a door up here? That's terrible. And they're like, no. And I go, because, you know, you just got stoked. That's crazy. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a story if you want to spook people out. It's a story that people are going to. And the one thing is, is um, you can be completely historical and you can be true. And it's still be creepy. And it's still creepy. Because well, like, when I talked to Louise, she described the house not as haunted, but as enchanted. It is enchanted. It is very enchanting. You it spend time in here. You got yeah. to come out and hang out. No, I You love really it should. Here. You come out. We'll go get some food. I don't, I don't think. Haley's like, hell no. It's <laughs> Haley's like, it just took us two hours to get here. We're not doing it I again. Know, if she drives next time. That's, um, it is literally, there's no creepy vibe in this house at all. You're so mes. The word enchanted really is perfect because... You're so mesmerized by the beauty of the house that you're not even thinking of things like needing to have things creepy or spooky or, I mean, granted, I don't know that I would want to wake up at 3 a.m. And, and go down to the kitchen way down there. That was in the basement. Yeah, right? it is. Yeah. <laughs> no. I, I was like, uh, where was the kitchen? Like, I don't know that I would yeah. want to do that, but I wouldn't want to do that in a current modern home either, I don't think. But the house is has such an amazing vibe to it. It doesn't have the vibe that the tour guides want it to have. You know what? And and thank you so much for saying that. And that's the whole thing is it's like it has an amazing vibe it to does. it. I get a lot of people that, that they, they, they hear the stories or they read the stories or they take the tours and then they come in the house and they're like, this place is this place is amazing. It and I'm is. like, yeah, it thank is beautiful. You. I love that. When she, when I first talked to Louise and she's like, well, here's the thing. We don't talk about it being haunted. We talk about it being enchanted. And I was like, well, I'm okay with that. Like, that's that's completely fine. I'll, you guys are spending the time and the money and the effort and the love and the passion to remember and preserve our history. I'm going to respect that. But even if she had not said that, I wouldn't. I think I would have felt the same way walking in the doors. Like, it really has such... There's nothing negative or dark or creepy about this house it's just beautiful and yeah and amazing yeah and even i mean honestly you know when you talk about like the history of seances and stuff like that even if he did perform seances here he was not he, he, was, he wasn't doing it for like a halloween entertainment yeah thing. he's not he a table rapper. He believed in it yeah he's, he's not a table rapper well and i think a lot of people are fascinated by spiritualism too because it's part of the the whole paranormal genre technically but i don't think people really realize when you talk about spiritualism, it was a religion like any other religion. It was, yeah. So it's not like they weren't doing it October 15th because it was creepy. Or like everyone reads about Houdini, the, his wife having the seance every Halloween. Yeah. That was because of, of when he died, not he died because it was Halloween. He died on Halloween afternoon. Yeah, so, it know, wasn't, hey, yeah, it yeah. wasn't because it was Halloween and people don't really see that. But I wanted to describe the room that we're sitting in because if, if we're going to talk creepy, and it's not even creepy in here right now. No. Tell us about the, all the things. This room is called the retreat. This is the retreat. This is where he brought his friends. Mm -hmm. This was like his personal place. And But you have turned it into what? Well, uh, it's for a very limited amount of time. So it might, it'll probably be gone, but I don't know when you're airing. But we're just doing an exhibit on Victorian mourning and how the Victorians dealt with death. 
because um, I think it's an important thing uh, to talk about because uh, people see like the Victorian morning stuff, the hair art. Yeah. They see Haley was a little creeped out by that. It's a, right. The hair. I mean, what? I mean, it's not my choice of fashion, but the pictures are where it creeps me out. But they've always creeped me out. The memento. It's memento mortem. Yeah, post mortem yeah. photography. I mean, I totally get why, but yeah. just like the idea of doing that with a loved one now is like so foreign that it creeps me out. Well, you yeah. know, they do kind of frown on it at Disneyland, by the way. Yeah. Don't, don't do that with Uncle George. They throw him on the bench you. at the Rivers of America. And, yeah. Yeah. So. But, yeah, so we have exhibits. Uh, we do have some post-mortem photography, uh, but we also have, like, needlework. Uh, we have jewelry that's made out of human hair. We have jet jewelry. We have some gowns, some women's dresses. And three of three of the four dresses, am I allowed to take a picture of that? Yeah, of course. Um, three of the four dresses are actual... Morning dresses from the period, yeah. yeah. And the only other one that I had uh, reproduced was an 1860s full morning outfit. Yeah. Yeah. And these books right here, these are called what? The people used to give out basically programs for Ye people to take with them. Yeah, for the announcements of funerals I and mean, stuff like that. I mean, we technically still do that now. People get the little booklet with a picture on the front and all that stuff. But back then, they were extravagant and they were Yeah, and they're paper punched, um which is an which is an art form in itself. But right now we are literally surrounded by dead people staring at us. Like these photos are are big pictures of, of post-mortem photography. Like, but the room <laughs> itself isn't creepy. Like I, when we were, when I kept saying how it wasn't creepy here, I started looking around and I was like, what the hell am I talking about? Cause there is some really weird things in this room, but, and this is this, you said this whole entire collection was going to go somewhere else. And now it's not. Yeah. It was supposed to go to the museum in Anaheim. And unfortunately they had to cancel their event for COVID. So it's like, Hey guys, guess what? You get to keep it up for a couple more weeks. So, so. you're going to keep it. We're just going to keep it here until we decide if we're going to either put it away or it's going to go someplace else. And where was it before? I mean, what was this room before? Did you have oh, it, it just had nothing in here. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I um, say you keep it up forever. I mean. Well, um, the only thing is, is uh, I do know that it's probably going to be going to the Dr. Howe Waffle Mansion in Santa, Santa Ana. Ana. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you know it. Yeah, yeah. So we're probably going to put it in there for Halloween itself. Oh, that's what you should do. Yeah. Well, we did that in the past. Okay. So people not touching stuff when you take big tours through. Like I usually did, don't. Like with me, I know. <laughs> Should I tell the story of touching wallpaper? No, she, yeah, she was touching my uh, historic wallpaper, everyone. So don't yeah, just, don't let her around anything that's just, precious. I couldn't help it. My brain had, the wallpaper here is literally in certain rooms, not all the rooms, is literally 3D. And how many how many years is that? That's that is the original. That's the original 1887 so wallpaper. So 140 something years old. Uh huh. And it's still on the wall. And my dumbass touched it. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Which is it's so weird for someone who loves history as much as I do and spends so much time on history. It's really weird that I did that. But my brain had to feel the history. I guess I don't. I wanted to see if it was 3D. Is my first thought. But I mean, ultimately, yeah, it's it's like, it's uh, it's pressed in a mold, it's and and it, and it's and it's done with the linseed oil, which you're like, oh wow, isn't that flammable? And you're like, yes, it, it is. really is flammable. Isn't yeah, it? um, but one of the things, if you go to the Winchester House, they actually a lot of their rooms are also in Crystal Walton, and they have a whole collection of Lynn Crystal Walton in its original roles. And so. they don't let you in the rooms like you do here. You let people walk directly through the rooms. Yeah, yeah, and I try not to stanch anything off, you know, because you know there they don't want anybody touching anything. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should have told wait, me don't wait, zing. Touch. Okay, and there you I, go. Like, there, and it's so funny because I was looking at there's amazing furniture here. There's 
amazing artwork. There's a million things I could have touched, and my whole thing was the wallpaper. I don't know why. Well, because it's it's very it's it's just fascinating, you it, know, that you are I, walking. Well, because you're walking into a room that has the original wallpaper from 1887, and it's beautiful. And it's That's, beautiful. It's, it's my it, favorite wallpaper it, in this whole house, it, by the way. And the one thing is, it's just plain white with uh, the and those and Fleur that, de, what is the that fleur de lis. Yeah. And well, remember because his influence with France. Yeah, and I'm gonna blame it on my heritage because I'm. My heritage is French, so it was, oh, okay. So you, you it were you were drawn fault. to the fleur de lis, yeah, okay? Yeah, I like was moth to a flame, okay? Yeah, I was, I wasn't in control of my own. Finger. And the interesting Sorry. thing is, is that stuff it comes in rolls and it's all white. Did you find more of that when you said that? No, 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 no. There's no original encrusted Walton, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, when we were when we started doing the restoration in the house, we found a lot of the wallpaper from the 1980s when they were doing restoration. Oh, but um, not from... No, obviously. no, 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 no. And the interesting thing is this house, when Jesse Shepard left, sold the house fully furnished. Oh, he did? So could you imagine some guy having like the garage sale of the century? Yeah. That would have been insane. That would have been awesome. Okay, so uh, you talk really um, frankly and and clearly you have passion for the story of Jesse, but his, his life didn't end well. Tell us about the end of his life. <sighs> okay, so, um, so him and Lawrence went back to Europe and... They're in England, they're in France, they're in various places in Europe, and uh, literally, uh, he dodges the bullet of World War I. They come back to America just as World War I is starting up. And he would have been of age where he would have... Uh, well, he's, he's um, not really. He's in his 40s. Oh, so, but still, you didn't want to be in Europe during that time. No, yeah, no, he's in his 50s, yeah, so he does not want to be in Europe at this right. time. This is not a good time. Especially to be an American in, in Europe, Europe sure. because remember, uh, America's not even in a war yet. Right. So they take off. They come back to America. We do have records of him uh, doing lectures and stuff up and down California during uh, during the time of World War One. He wound up in Los Angeles during the the nineteen twenties. So being in Los Angeles, nineteen twenties, not a good time. And he he basically did it. Where was Lawrence? When did Lawrence, when did he and Lawrence stop being in the same place at the same time? Oh, well, they were, um, they were, well, him and Lawrence uh, met in 1885. Uh, Lawrence was his best friend, business partner, and uh, nobody knows exactly the nature of their relationship. We were talking about that earlier. Uh, Yeah, that perhaps uh, there is an excellent chance that perhaps um, they were also a couple as well. But at that time period, it was illegal. And so they never actually came out and they never wrote about it. So nobody really knows. Nobody. It's just an assumption. It's just an assumption. But at the same time, you know, when you work in history, uh, you hate to make assumptions. Right. So was he, what year did he actually pass away? Okay. So one of the things I know is that, that uh, you live in Orange County. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the mission in a Riverside. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a great story that actually ties uh, Jesse Shepard to the mission in. So during this time period, Jesse Shepard has changed his name to Francis Grierson, where he became a writer. And that's that was his pen name. That was his that was name. his pen name. Okay. Where Francis is his middle name, Grierson's his mother's maiden name. Okay. Uh, so what happened was was uh, they were living in Los Angeles and they were living above. I think they were living above a dry cleaner, not Which, doing well. I mean, well. what a difference, right? Yeah. From this, what a difference from this being home here and to like, living above a dry living cl- living yeah. in like a one bedroom apartment. You know, there's a an author by the name of Zona Gale. And uh, she's from the East Coast, and she is out at the Mission Inn. She meets Frank Miller, who's the owner of the Mission Inn, and they start talking about music and stuff like that and interesting people. And 
Frank Miller's like, oh, you got to meet Francis Grierson. He's, he's like, yeah, I know him. He's come here for Easter service. He used to play the piano at the hotel. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so she, Frank Miller hooks up an introduction for him. She goes to Los Angeles and he sits there and he plays the piano for her and stuff like that. And they sit there and they spend the whole afternoon talking. And she becomes like enamored of him. Like, and he's, he's an old, he's much older. Now. He's in his seventies. And he's not exactly healthy at this point. Well, he's, he's not bad health though. Okay. He's, he's not, not in bad health. He's not, he's just in his seventies. Yeah, he's in his seventies, but you know, he's taking good care of himself. Okay. And Zona Gale and them, they actually start a great pen pal relationship. Between Frank. Be- well, between like Frank Miller, Zona Gale, and Francis Grierson, they're all writing to each AKA other. A.K.A. Jesse, Jesse Shepard. Shepard. Yeah, they're all writing each other. And uh, Zona Gale says, um, hey, let's do a benefit concert to where this guy's going to play the piano. And we're going to use that money and he's going to summer at the Mission Inn. Where he can live, right? Well, pretty much. It's going to be enough money for him to... Summer there. So they're concerned. Frank and Well, they're concerned for his her. health. Right. You that know? he's living above a dry cleaner. And yeah. He's, he's not. And he's this amazing pianist and an author and a character, basically. And they want to help him basically be in the style he's accustomed to. Yeah. Live he, at the mission. You know, and he's a, he's a European gentleman. Right. So uh, this concert is arranged. And, uh, you know, Jesse shows up. And uh, it's many people have been invited, and uh, he sits down at the piano and he starts playing like he's in his twenties. Really, like he and just goes right back. It just it goes right back. He'd play a couple of pieces. There's a cocktail sitting on the bar. He'll he'll drink it. He'll wow. swivel on the chair. Talk about his travels in Europe. Um, so he's a pure entertainer. He is. He is. There's there's not you know. And, but he was a world traveler and an extremely open minded person and a character. He could hold the attention of a crowd. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I what mean, happens? He owned the salons of Paris. Right. So what happens? He does this so, benefit. So he raises he's, the money. No. Yeah. So he during this concert, he's playing as little, he's playing like he hasn't played in years, and he ends it with one of his favorite pieces. And when he hits the final chord, he bowed his head. And everybody went nuts that Jesse Shepard was back. And then Lawrence realizes something is wrong and goes to him and realizes he is dead at the piano. Holy crap. And his fingers are still resting on the were final you, chord. Were you expecting the end of that story? No. That's crazy, right? <laughs> That's insane that he died doing what he loved. Yeah. Almost mesmerizing how he was 50 years before. Yeah. And he died. And one of the things that I absolutely love about the story is I have, um, when I was writing my book, Piercing the Veil, um, I went to the Riverside Museum. Well, first off, I went to the Mission Inn because I know their connection. Right. And it's interesting, in the letters that Zona Gale had written to Frank Miller, the owner of the Mission Inn, she said, I'd like him to summer there and play the piano. Not a piano. The, the piano. piano. And if you ever go to the Mission in a Riverside, there is an 1876 Steinway in their the lobby, piano. which is, which um, I when I run into their people at the museum at the Mission Inn, and I go, "Do you know how long you've had that piano?" And they're like, "No, we don't know." And I go, "I know you had it before 1927." Right. So they're not into. So they don't. They don't know the history of the Jesse, Jesse Shepherd, and they don't even know the history of the piano. They don't even know when the piano became part of oh, the that's hotel. Crazy. Well. 
the last time I was there, that piano was exposed to full sunlight. Oh, no. And I know you collect antiques and yeah, stuff like that, books. but there's already weather damage and yeah, stuff to the piano. Crazy. There were only 500 of those pianos made to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of America. It should be in a cave. It should literally be cut. It, 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 yeah. I feel like Indiana Jones. That belongs in a museum. Yeah, that's um, But... Uh, and they don't... And that's they weird. Don't, well, because they're, they're... very much into the history. Well... In a way, yes and no. Yes and no, um, but uh, but the one thing is is uh, I have um, I've I've felt it in my hands, and when it came to us opening up the museum, um, the Riverside Museum, of course, would not let me have the original, but I have a copy of the telegram from Frank Miller, the owner of the Mission Inn, to Zona Gale, announcing the death of Francis. Gerson. Letting him know that. He died. He died, and uh, he, and he talked about how one of his men were there was there when it happened, and the last thing he said was, "It was good the man went the way he did." Oh, see, that's isn't to say everybody. Yeah. If he was gonna die, everybody would would have wanted it to be the way that it happened. Yeah, I hate to say it, he went out like a boss. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> so you you got from you got copies of all the different letters. You you personally read all the different letters. Yes, right? I did. Yeah. That's crazy. And where are those letters? You said they're at the Riverside Museum. Now. They're at the Riverside Museum. I do have some of the copies of some of the letters. You don't have stuff. them on display here? Anyway. No, I don't. Um, this is all actually what you see right here was originally put up from the Historical Society. So what you see up here has been put up since the 1980s. Oh. Well, because the history just hasn't changed. But as of that that means that we're going to have to be working on more stuff. And I've got to put a new display in. I'm, yeah. we've, the Friends of the Villa Montezuma, we've only been in this house for about a month and a half. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay, so tell us um, if people want information on the Villa Montezuma. Um, if you want information on the Villa Montezuma, please do go to our website, org. If it does not have museum on it's it, then it's somebody's fanboy page, and it's not good. And how, if people wanted to be a part of the preservation... Is there tours that like do yes. you raise money from the tours now? Um, yes, money? yes. Um, we give tours on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, on the hour from one to four is our last tour. You have to RSVP right now okay. to let us know you're coming because we limit the amount of people that are on the tour. Okay. But ev when people ask how can I get interested in preserving the Villa Montezuma, come on a tour. And that helps. Well, the one thing is, is um, all, all of us. All of us here at the Friends of the Villa Montezuma, we make no money. Okay. We make no money. The money goes into the restoration. Every, of every cent that you come and spend at the Villa Montezuma goes into the restoration of oh. the Villa Montezuma. So if you love history. And you love spiritualism. you love spiritualism. I mean, and you'll, and and you, it's a beautiful house. Like, I would highly recommend this to anyone. It's absolutely beautiful. And your book, how would people get their book? Your book, if they were interested? Um, if you're interested in buying my book, you can, of course, go to Amazon. Okay. And it's called Piercing the Veil, Examining San Diego's Haunted History. Okay. And I, I will link that. You can send me the link that you want me to use. Do you have your own website, too? Um, yes. Um, my, my personal website. Um, I'm also a magician and illusionist. And I specialize in Victorian magic. And um, but I also magic. yeah when we were talking about bizarre magic and is stuff that like what that. it is is that the short well a lot yeah or? yeah and okay. I actually do something that's built on the age of spiritualism and okay. stuff like that and uh, my my personal website is illusionsofthepast.com which we will have linked on our episode page too mm -hmm. um thank you so much for having us oh well thank it you was very a long much drive. Haley's gonna make me drive back yes because she was over it yeah and we happened. drive to San Diego all the time but. 
It's also it Saturday hard. morning at yep. 8 a.m. when I should be sleeping should in. still be asleep <laughs> at 11.41. We will have all the information about the Villa Montezuma on our episode webpage. I'll have links to Charles's stuff and Charles's book. And you and I are going to talk again. We're going to do another episode on Orange. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So it, if people are interested in going on, if you're in San Diego, they can do an actual tour of the house on a Saturday, you said Friday, Friday, Friday Saturday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then um, if they're interested in a more ghostly experience, they can do the ghost walk in Orange. Yeah. And the ghost walk at, are you still doing the Waffle House? No. Um, I myself, um, I, 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 I mostly take admin help for the, on that now. I've, I've, I, for people who do not know me, um, as we talked, uh, I used to work for Haunted Orange County. In fact, and you don't work for them anymore? I do. Okay. I do. I do. I work... Uh, I think Ernie and I are connected at the hip, actually. Okay. Ernie Alonzo, the owner of Haunted Orange County. Okay. Um, I helped him start the company, and I wrote his first tour for him almost 12 years ago. Are you not actually physically doing the tours? Uh, no, because I'm, I'm down here now. Okay. I have trained myself out of a job. So give me the link for that, too, and then people can do Orange, the city of Orange, which is my hometown. Yeah. That's well, if you ever want to just do a city of orange, just give me a call and we'll do the city of orange. I, so. that's my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put together a podcast crew. We, there we go. And people come. I would there have to do it live there. Oh, That'd well, be great. yeah. Okay. Um, and then, um, the waffle house, I'll have a link to that too. That okay. Yeah. Th- that is the Santa Ana historical preservation society and okay. they are a fantastic, um, um, society also built around Santa Ana history. So for some things to do in October, if you're looking to do historical ghost tours. And the Hotel Del Coronado. And the Hotel Del Coronado. You do that too. Um, yeah, I'm helping out some friends at the Hotel Del Coronado okay. do some tours. I work in their museum okay. as well, uh, but I also help them with their ghost tour. And a couple times in October, uh, I believe it's Friday the 15th, and then Saturday the 23rd, I'm going to be doing their special Kate Morgan tour and seance cool thank you so much charles for your time today thank you inviting us down here you say bye bye (laughs) if you love history and are in the san diego area make sure a visit to the enchanted villa montezuma is on your itinerary if you're interested in helping with the preservation of this beautiful home please visit villamontezumamuseum.org and for more information on san diego's history and hauntings Please check out Charles Spratley's book, Piercing the Veil, Examining San Diego's Haunted History. Available on Amazon or visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com where we will have the link. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost.